Well, hello, church, and welcome to another week of 50 Days in the Spirit. So far, we've covered living in the Spirit, hearing in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit, and walking in the Spirit. This week is on speaking for the Spirit. Now, that may be a bold title, but you'll see why it's titled exactly just that. See, there's a bumper sticker that says, If God wanted you to speak for Him, He would have made you a whole lot smarter. That's a bit of a jab at charismatic Christians, but the truth is actually the opposite of that. You know what? It's amazing how often God uses everyday people, uses all Christians to speak for the Spirit. God has us speak for Him every time we share the gospel, every time we share an encouraging word, every time I preach, and every time that we, we tell someone that Jesus loves them, we are speaking for the Spirit. We're speaking for God. That's amazing. Thankfully, God doesn't use us based on how smart we are, because honestly, I don't think I'd qualify. But God gives each and every one of us, as his children, that opportunity. I'm going to show you in a minute, but let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you, Lord, for your word, and we stand on your word. And Lord God, we want to be living every aspect of your word that we possibly can, Lord God. We want to be living out your kingdom, bringing heaven to earth. And so would you help us to do that today? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a look at Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 29, where it says, And afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people, your sons and your daughters. That literally means your children will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions, even on my servants. Both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Sons and daughters, old and young, men and women, he will pour out his spirit, the Holy Spirit, on all people. That's every one of us. This is a big deal because in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, prophets were held to a high degree of accuracy and they were also held to a high degree of accountability. If they were wrong, they were stoned to death. Thank God we aren't living in the Old Testament times. But in the New Testament, it's different. He's given us, as his children, access to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes prophecy and all the gifts of the Spirit available to all of his children, to all believers. God wants you to speak for him. He does. Here's the secret. If you can hear for the Spirit, you can speak for the Spirit. If you can hear for the Spirit, you can speak for the Spirit. If you can hear what the Holy Spirit's saying to you, and you've, we're going to talk about some of the ways that we can follow that here today, uh, then you can share with someone else what God is saying to you to say to them, to encourage them, to bless them, to build them up. Last week we learned the importance of the fruit of the Spirit, and we know that in Matthew 7, 16, Jesus says, by their fruit you will recognize them. Not gifts. It's the fruit of the Spirit, the character of the kingdom that will distinguish us from unbelievers. But that's not to say that gifts aren't important. Gifts are very important, okay? Because as I said a couple weeks ago, we are to desire the gifts, we are to desire the greater gifts. Greater as, as in best for the situation, okay? So the key word here 
is actually desire. Now, King James Version translates that word covet. Now, you may remember that word from some other verses in the Bible. Maybe from the Ten Commandments, 9 and 10 say, Shall not covet thy neighbor's wife, and you shall not covet thy neighbor's goods. So why use such strong language here? Why, why would they use that word covet? It's only used once to tell us to do something. We're only allowed to covet this one thing. So why use this language? Because the church needs the gifts. Okay? We need the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation. We absolutely do. With as much passion and discipline that we are not coveting our neighbor's wife and not coveting our neighbor's goods, we are to covet the spiritual gifts. We are to desire them. This is the only thing that we're told to covet. So it's pretty important. When the church was born in Pentecost, at Pentecost, uh, in Acts chapter 2, you can read about um, when, when the tongues of flame came on and they spoke in different languages, and then the subsequent action of that was that 3,000 people gave their life to Christ. That's amazing. And, and then you go to the next chapter, Acts chapter 3, and Peter and John are walking around. They see this lame man at the beautiful gate, and they say, Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. And he was healed with the gift of healing. And later on, you can read that 2,000 more were added to the kingdom. Now, if you take away those two catalysts of the spiritual gifts of tongues and of healing, where would the church be? Don't know. But those were two very important catalysts in bringing people to Christ, in bringing people to the church. The gifts of the Spirit are not just important. They're essential. So what are they? Well, let me show you something that someone else showed me that really helped to solidify and clarify these. And so remember, if you can hear in the Spirit, you can speak for the Spirit. Spiritual gifts come first with a warning we need to look at in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Other translations say ignorant. And you know what? I think if we're in danger of anything, it's about being ignorant of the gifts of the Spirit. And so we need to press in. We need to practice the gifts of the Spirit. We need to be in action with them, in step with the Spirit. Let's pursue them and put them into practice. Okay, so these gifts are mentioned here in chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. These are the different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Who's mentioned in these verses? Spirit, Lord, and God. Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, God the Father. That's the Trinity. The Trinity is mentioned here. Paul clearly connects the Trinity to the gifts. Gifts of the Spirit, gifts from Jesus, and gifts from God the Father. So we're going to look at each of those separately. Unfortunately, we've, many have lumped them all together and say these are the gifts of the Spirit, but they're different 
gifts from different members of the Godhead. Let's take a look at that right now. So verse 4 in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, uh, it talks about the gifts of the Spirit. It talks about the Spirit distributing gifts. Okay, so skip down now to verse 8 where it talks about what those are. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to another, still, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. These are the gifts of the Spirit. Okay, so verse 5 talks about the gifts of the Lord, as listed in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. So Christ Himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip His people for works of Service. These are the different kinds of service from the Lord Jesus. Okay, and so now we can look at verse 6 that shows uh, the different working or manifestation gifts or motivation gifts of the Father as listed in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. These are the different kinds of workings from the same God who is at work in all of these. One of the most important verses on the gifts is one that we intentionally skipped over, is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. The purpose of the gifts is to build the church, is to build you up. If I have a gift, it's not for me, it's for the church. Okay? That's why we are told to covet them. That's why it's good to covet them, because it's not for ourselves. It's for other people. It's for the church, because they're for others. Today, we're going to look in more detail the gifts of the Spirit, and specifically uh, the gifts of the utterance gifts, because not only can we divide the gifts and categorize them amongst members of the Godhead, but we can look at the gifts of the Spirit, and we can say, okay, these are utterance gifts. These are revelation gifts, and these are power gifts, okay? So we're going to talk about the utterance gifts, and next week, Pastor Jordan's going to talk about the revelation and the power gifts. So this week, we're going to talk about prophecy and tongues and interpretation. So prophecy is when an individual speaks the mind of Christ, or the mind of God, as they are impressed by the Spirit of God, when the divine and the human work together to give a message to the church. God wants you to speak for the Spirit. In old-time Pentecostal circles, maybe some of you were around back then, because prophecy back then sounded 
a lot different than what it sounds like today. Prophecy back then sounded a lot more KJV, okay? It sounded a lot like, yay, 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 and even yay, I say, yay. What, what are they saying? It's, yay. <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know. But it sounded like that. And or if it didn't sound like that, a lot of times people would say, thus saith the Lord, before they gave, or after they gave this message that they believed was from God. And you know, I don't give prophetic words like that, and I don't recommend you give words prophetic like that, prophetic words like that, because it's putting a lot of weight on those words. It's giving you absolutely zero margin of room for error. It's, it is like you're writing it in stone and you're giving it to them and you're saying, all right, this is it. That's the word from God. You can't doubt it. This is the word from God. Now, as I said, again, there's a lot of grace in the New Testament for prophetic words. Did you know how often thus saith the Lord is said in the Old Testament? Over 400 times. Over 400 times. That's a lot. You know how often it's said in the New Testament? Zero. It's not mentioned at all in the New Testament. It's not said. So let's not, let's not say it. Instead, prophecy in the New Testament is more conversational, where we can say, you know, I, I feel like I need to say this to you. Or I think God wants to encourage you in this. You, you can say that, and people can receive it as a prophetic word. There's no need to be more direct like that. You know, another thing that I've found in, in, in my experience in the church is that some people sometimes change their posture or their, uh, how they're presenting the word. They might stand up and declare and puff up their chest and say, The Lord says this. So not only are they changing what they're saying, but they're changing how they say it. We don't need to change how we talk in order to give a prophetic word. We don't need to stand up on a soapbox and to say in a very foreboding and very ominous voice. I had to practice really hard to get that. We don't need to do that because we can just talk normally. We can just give the prophetic word and say, I think God wants to encourage you in this. And just give the word as we feel led by God. You know, I heard a preacher once say, after a woman gave an ominous message in such a way, woman, I believe what you said is from God, but not how you said it. And I, so I believe that sometimes we can even give prophetic words without even necessarily knowing we're giving a prophetic word. If you're with somebody and and you, you feel, Holy Spirit, you feel God drop a word on you to give to them, to encourage them, to bless them, to build them up. That's the purpose of the gifts, right? To encourage the church. And so you're sitting across from them and you think, oh, I just, I really feel like I need to encourage this person in this area. And so you do. That's a prophetic word. You're building them up. Because we can look at the different purposes of New Testament prophecy in 1 Corinthians. Remember, if you can hear in the Spirit, you can speak for the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14.3 says, But the one who prophesies 
speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. That, those are the purposes of prophecy in the New Testament. This verse doesn't mention at all about predicting the future. You know, when, when I was in Bible college, we found a book in the library tucked in behind some other ones. 88 reasons why the rapture will happen in 1988. Well, either the author missed it or we all missed it, right? Another thing I don't recommend using prophecy for is for predicting who someone else will marry. I've received more than one prediction of who I would marry. Yes, more than one. Now, already that sounds off, right? So the first time I got a word about who I would marry, I was, in, I was a teenager. I was just learning about the gifts, and this is great. This is cool. God's speaking to me through people, through his word. This is awesome. And I'm supposed to marry this girl. Well, that was convenient because I had a crush on her, so that's great. Okay, I received that. A few years later, I'm at Bible college, and oh, God thinks you're supposed to marry. God says you're going to marry this other person, this other girl. Well, hold on a second. This first girl isn't married, nor am I, and this other girl. Now, that just doesn't make sense. I was starting to get really suspicious, and you know what? Neither of them is my current wife, Kristen. So there you have it. I mean, just don't do it, okay? Don't prophesy about who someone will marry. And we don't need to use or expect God to use us to prophesy someone's future, okay? Don't put that on your shoulders. But we can use prophecy as comfort, strengthening, and encouraging, all right? Comfort, uh, prophecy in its simplest form is comfort. It's bringing comfort to people, okay? So Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament, has 52 chapters, and in those chapters, it totals 1,364 verses. That's a lot of scripture. That's a lot of verses for one book. And you know what? The most famous prophecy that he has in that whole book of, filled with prophetic words is this. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Now, this isn't a very specific prophetic word. This isn't saying, at this time, this is going to happen. It's a pretty vague word, but it's a word of comfort. It's a word of comfort. Why do you think it's so well known? Because people need comfort. The church needs comfort. People in the church, God wants to comfort his people. Okay, we can also see in that same verse that there's encouragement here, which is another purpose of prophecy. Encouragement or edification simply means to build up, to promote another's growth in Christian wisdom, piety, happiness, and holiness. It's a matter of trying to hear God's voice, to bring courage, to bring um, comfort, to bring confidence to other people, okay? 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 16 and 17 says this, and Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. Jonathan encouraged David. 
He edified him. He helped him to build up his faith, to build up his confidence and courage. And the third purpose of prophecy is strengthening or exhortation. Now, this is the strongest of the three words, and it's, it's actually a two-part word. Exhortation means to, to encourage, but also to point and call to action, to point and call to action. And we have a great example of that in, in Joshua and Caleb saying, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. That's an exhortation. There's encouragement, and there's an action piece to it. So even though all these, old, these examples are from the Old Testament, they're excellent examples of what we should be living out as New Testament believers in prophecy. They're great examples of New Testament prophecy. So next time you're in, in need of comfort or encouragement or exhortation, you don't know what to do, reach out to the church. Reach out to one of us pastors. Reach out to your life group and say, I, I need something. I just, I need God to speak right now. Just reach out to your different people in your life that, that know God and that love you. And, and just ask for them to give you a word of comfort, encouragement, or that will strengthen you. Then test the prophetic word. Every prophetic word from God will pass these two tests. Number one, it will line up with the rest of of the Word of God. Nothing that God will say to you will contradict what He's already said in here. Okay? It will line up with Scripture. It will line up, line up with the Bible. And secondly, we should already have heard something along the lines of the prophetic word. And so the prophetic word will be more of a confirmation, not a completely new idea that you've never heard from God before. Okay, so those are the two tests of pro- prophecies. So now let's move on to talk about tongues and interpretation. Remember, if you can hear in the Spirit, you can speak for the Spirit. Now, this is not to be confused with the gift of tongues as a prayer language that we talked about in week three, praying in the Spirit. Just as a quick review, though, so that's a a language that God gives us, whether it's a human language we don't know or an angelic language, doesn't matter. It's a language we don't know that God has enabled us to speak to encourage us and to build us up as individuals, okay? So this, tongues and interpretation, is different. So that was the private use. Today we're talking about the public use of tongues, okay? Where we, uh, God uses someone to deliver a message in an unknown language, and then we expect and wait on an interpretation to come from either them or someone else in the church, okay? An interpretation is needed because... We don't know what they said. It's no good for me to speak Hebrew to to you guys if you don't know what I'm saying. So that's why we wait for an interpretation. That's why we wait on God to see what he's saying in our plain known language. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26 through 28 says this. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. There it is again. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two, or at the most, three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. 
So again, this is speaking of the public use of tongues, where there's an expectation for an interpretation. If it's for the congregation, it needs an interpretation. I had that rhyme so you can remember it. When someone speaks to the congregation in an unknown tongue, then it says it should be interpreted. If there's no interpreter, then we shouldn't continue giving messages in tongues, right? If there's no point to continue to say things from God if we can't understand what God is saying. The direction is this, let two or three speak and then interpret it. Because everything must be done to build up the church. There are two, so these are the two different gifts for two different purposes. There, ha, there has been some confusion. This is, I wrap up here, there's been some confusion about whether someone praying in the church, in, in a, whether it's an unknown language or whether maybe it's just that the person hearing it doesn't know that language. Okay, so let's be, give them benefit of the doubt. Say they're praying in tongues in the church and, and, and someone else overhears it. Does that need to be translated? No, no it doesn't because that person didn't intend to address the church. They didn't feel that it was for the church. They were praying, just like week three, praying in the spirit. They weren't trying to address the church. They weren't giving a message to the church. It was something totally different, okay? So I'd say no to that. The person didn't want to address the church. They were praying and building themselves up. Okay, tongues and interpretation together holds the same weight as prophecy. It's basically the same thing, just done and administered differently. Okay, so it's God in prophecy. Uh, as a review, in prophecy, one person is used to deliver a message in a known language to the church. Okay, in tongues and interpretation, one person is used to give a message from God in an unknown language, and then either them or someone else is expected to give an interpretation and understanding of that message. If you can hear in the Spirit, you can speak for the Spirit. Now, I want to go back, and uh, there's, there's an exercise that's been done in the life groups, and I want to do that right now. If I could, Alona, if you could come, or Jonah, sorry. If you could come and, and play on the piano and just uh, give us uh, some nice, soft, atmospheric music, that'd be great. So what I want to do is, is something called listening prayer. You've already done it in your life groups, but it's where we, uh, in our minds, we picture ourselves in a calm, peaceful place. Okay, so you can do that right now. Just picture yourself in a calm place somewhere where it's peaceful somewhere where you love to be. And I just want you to picture Jesus there with you. So as you're doing that right now, you're in that peaceful place. It's calm. And Jesus is there with you. And as we've practiced in our life groups, we've, we've asked God for words for ourselves. But the difference here is that instead of asking God for words for ourselves, what would you say to me? We say, God, what would you want to say to this person? 
what would you want to say to the person across the table from me? What would you want to say to the, my friend that I know is struggling? What would you want to say to this person that is crying out for a word from you? Needs to be encouraged, needs to be comforted, needs to be strengthened. Just like we can hear from him for us, in that same way, we sit and we wait on him. We wait on the Spirit to speak to us so we can speak for the Spirit. We can give that word to someone else. And maybe, maybe God gave you a word in that time that we were just sitting and waiting on him. I would encourage you who you were thinking of when I said that person across the table, whoever it was, that person you were thinking of. That word's probably for them. So reach out to them and say, you know, don't say, thus saith the Lord, okay? Say, I think God wants to encourage you. I think God wants to comfort you. I think God wants to strengthen you in your life and in your walk with him. And this is what I felt he said to me. Take it for what it's worth. I just feel that this is what God said to me to encourage you with. It's that simple, church. It's that simple. If you can hear in the Spirit, you can speak for the Spirit. If today you are hearing about gifts for the first time and you're learning about church for the first time and hearing about Jesus, I want to tell you that becoming a disciple of Christ is absolutely one of the best decisions you will ever make. The best decision, actually. And it's as simple as admitting that you're not perfect. None of us is perfect. Believe Jesus came as that perfect sacrifice for you, for me, for all mankind. And then choose to follow him today and every day. We're going to say a prayer doing just that. And if you have decided to follow Christ today, would you please reach out to me? I would love to give you resources, put them in your hands to help you in your walk with him. Let's pray. Just everybody repeat after me. Thank you, Jesus, that I don't need to be perfect because you were perfect for me. Thank you that you did what I couldn't do. I pray that you would help me to choose to follow you today and every day. Amen. If you said that for the first time, please email me, amen at livinghope-ca.org. I want to help you in your walk with God. We're going to close in prayer now in a, in a second. But I just want to encourage you that it is so good. It's so encouraging to speak prophetic words. Not only does it encourage others in the church, but it encourages me when I give them as well. It's so good to be used by God. It's such a great ability to be able to help, to be used by God to build up his church. Jesus builds the church. 
and he uses us to do it. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much that you speak to us, not only for our own benefit, but also to be used in prophecy and interpretation of tongues and giving of messages of tongues to build up your church. Thank you, Lord God, that you have not just provided a way, but that you want us to speak for the Spirit. You want to use us to build up your church, to encourage others, to comfort others, to strengthen others. Father, I pray that as we seek your face, not just for ourselves, but Lord, that we would seek your face for the church, for our friends, for our family members in the church that need to be encouraged, comforted, and strengthened. Lord, would you speak clearly? Would you help us to clear out all those things that distract us, that take away from your voice? Just as Janine was talking about, we want to be filled with you so that the things of this world don't pollute what we're trying to hear from you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, if you want prayer, if you need comfort, encouraging, or strengthening, please reach out to our Facebook messenger. Message us there, because we have people waiting that want to pray with you, give you comfort, give you encouragement, give you strength to do what it is that God has called you to do. So as we do that, I just want to close and say thank you so much for joining us. Have a wonderful week, and God bless. Hey, thanks so much for joining us this morning at Living Hope Community Church. If you love what we're doing and want to partner with us as a ministry, you can go to livinghope-ca.org backslash give and choose a giving option that works best for you. Or if God did something in your life and you want to, we want to know about it. So if you could send us a quick email at amen at livinghope-ca.org. Again, thanks so much for joining us today. Have a great week.